All right, well, we've got a large section of Daniel chapter 7 to cover, so I'm just going to pray and get right into it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we're all here again together today to fellowship with one another, to worship you, to study your word, to pray. Thank you, God, that we still have the opportunity to do this. Help us to cherish it, appreciate it, relish it, take advantage of it every chance we get. We ask you to bless this time of study in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off in verse 12, Daniel receiving these visions from the Lord and basically laying out amazingly in a fairly short period of time, at least in the way it's portrayed in the scriptures. We don't know exactly, he calls them night visions. We don't know how many nights were involved, but we get the gist of it in this one chapter of Daniel, and yet it covers basically the entire course of human history right up until the return of Jesus Christ and the establishing of his millennial kingdom. So what an amazing composite we have here in this book. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. He says, I was watching in the night visions. And so a vision, as we've talked about, the Bible talks about dreams and visions. God gives people dreams, which is while you're sleeping, but he also gives people visions, which is while it's like a dream except you're awake. And he's having these night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. This, by the way, is the first biblical reference to the Messiah as the Son of Man, a title that our Lord Jesus used of himself quite often, the Son of Man. And this is the first time this appears in the Bible, and it, he is referring here to Jesus. In fact, in, in my Bible, it, um, the, the Son is capital S, Man is capital M, the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And so here Daniel sees the second coming of Christ with the saints, the clouds of God, Jude 1, 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. So there is a book of Enoch. It's not considered part of the biblical canon, but there is some amazing information in that book of Enoch. It's even quoted here by Jude. So uh, it does carry some weight in that regard. And he says, Enoch prophesied about these men talking about the deceivers, the false teachers, uh, those in the last days who would be leading people astray. Because Jude starts his book, it's just one chapter, and he talks about the fact that he's writing uh, to contend for that faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jude saw already in the first century that there were those out there undermining that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Through Jesus, through the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, they gave us the apostles' doctrine, the foundation of our Christian faith, and it was already being undermined in the first century. But as he gets toward the end of his little one-chapter book, he says, Enoch prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, the clouds of heaven, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they've committed in an ungodly way. Notice how he uses that word ungodly three times in one sentence. And of all the harsh things 
which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So it speaks of that coming judgment uh, at the second coming of Christ when we come with him. The rapture, he comes for us. We meet him in the air. The second coming, we come with him to execute judgment upon this world. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. See, that's another difference with the rapture. The rapture is like a thief in the night. It's a secret coming for his people. The second coming will be blatantly obvious and visible to everyone. He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So Daniel sees in this vision Jesus, one like the Son of Man. And this is Old Testament. This is like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace and they looked down and saw four men, not three. The fourth one was Jesus Christ. Here, Daniel sees him and he came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. This is Jesus approaching the Father's throne. Verse 14, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Again, this is speaking of the millennial kingdom of Christ on the earth. This hasn't happened yet, but Daniel saw it. Thousands of years ago. And it segues on into eternity, an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Verse 15 I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So, if you remember, if you've studied Daniel, we haven't done the whole book in a while, but. Nebuchadnezzar, back in chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, was very disturbed uh, by the visions and dreams that he was having. And Daniel here is disturbed. He had, in the past, exhibited the ability to interpret dreams on previous occasions, chapters 2 and 4, as he interpreted the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, but he can't interpret this vision here that he's having nor could he interpret the next one in chapter 8, verse 15. And there's a point to be made here, that even though Daniel had previously been able to do that, on this occasion he wasn't able, he needed help from the angel to get the interpretation. To me that tells me that, you know, some people seek after spiritual gifts because it makes them feel more spiritual, more mature, maybe draw attention to themselves, people see how spiritual you are. We're not to seek the gifts, we're to seek the giver. And then he gives the gifts that he wants us to have. So this keeps Daniel seeking the Lord here because he doesn't understand at this point. And he's not fearful. The reason that he is grieved in his spirit within his body, he was troubled by his inability to understand the meaning of the vision. And so he seeks help from the angelic being here. Verse 16 I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. And there's another point to be made. God is not the author of confusion. He promises in James chapter 1, if we lack wisdom, we can ask him. He will give it to us. And so even though Daniel was somewhat troubled, 
he did the right thing. He asked for help, for understanding to be able to interpret these things. So the angel responds in a positive manner. Verse 17, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. We talked about this not last week because I wasn't here, but the week before in verses 1 through 12, these four great world empires, these four kings. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So again, confirming that all earthly kingdoms will fall and give way to the kingdom of God ruled over by Jesus Christ. And so at the time that Daniel received this, it was still the Babylonian Empire. That would give way to the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, which would give way to the Greek Empire, which would ultimately give way to the Roman Empire. All have fallen, but the understanding from the studies of prophetic scriptures like this here in Daniel is that whether it's literally seated in Rome or not, this final one-world government headed up ultimately by the Antichrist will be, in essence, a revived Roman Empire. And as I mentioned several weeks ago, something I learned recently, if I knew it in the past, I didn't remember it, but that Adolf Hitler had actually stated that his goal was that his Third Reich, the Nazi Reich, was to be the revived Roman Empire, and his goal was that it would last for a thousand years. Interesting. And so you can see why many people alive at that time in the 30s and 40s when Hitler came to power thought that he was the Antichrist. And he certainly was a forerunner. He was a type of the Antichrist. Verse 19, Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. Now, again, we talked about this previously, but the Roman Empire was arguably the most devastating military force up to that time to ever walk the face of the earth. The Roman legions were greatly feared. They were very vicious and uh, destructive. But Daniel senses that this last beast is much more significant than the others. He focuses on that one. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Now in Revelation 13, 7, it was granted, this is speaking of the Antichrist, the beast, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. But as I've pointed out before, this reference to the saints here has to do with those on the earth during the tribulation. Obviously, there will be people who come to faith in Christ after the rapture, during the tribulation. The Bible speaks of the tribulation martyrs who will be martyred, beheaded for their faith, so these are, in fact, the martyrs of the tribulation. We will be in heaven with Jesus while all this is going on. 
but it's talking about the fact that the Antichrist will make war against the saints. Anybody who refuses the mark of the beast will be beheaded. So again, he will make war against the Christians and the Jews. As our good friend Avi Lipkins pointed out on multiple occasions, we Christians, as well as the Jews, are both people of the book, right? The only difference is they only have half of it. (laughs) We have all of it. But to the Islamic world especially, they lump us all together because we all believe in the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, Jehovah, whereas their God is Allah. And so the Antichrist is going to make war against the saints, against the Jews, until, verse 22, the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time for the saints to possess the kingdom. This is at the end of the tribulation. So you see how we're getting a a very rapid overview here from Daniel's visions of the entire course of human history with a special focus and emphasis on the very last days, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Notice, they were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Sadly, we're living in a time when many people are de-emphasizing the importance of the word of God. We have all these watered-down, diluted, polluted Bible translations. We have people saying that You know, doctrine is not really that important, that oftentimes doctrine is divisive. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there have to be divisions so that we know who is approved by God and who isn't. See, from the carnal, worldly, or immature viewpoint, divisions are bad. From God's viewpoint, they're not, because it separates the true from the false, the fake from the real. And so what these martyrs are commended for, they, they laid down their lives. They were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. All right, verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. And so again, the angel giving Daniel the interpretation here, just like Jesus said that the the last days, the end times, the tribulation, would be worse than any other time in human history. Never before and never again would there be anything like this time. And that's what the angel's telling Daniel here as well. Different from all other kingdoms. No matter how vast they may have been, and probably the most recent vast empire was actually the British Empire, which uh, disintegrated pretty much leading up into World War II. 
but it wasn't as devastating as that ancient Roman Empire was. It shall devour the whole earth. Again, that's never happened before in human history. It was never possible before. What has made this possible for there to be a one-world government that will encompass the entire globe is mass transit, airplanes, jets. You've heard me say this before, but prior to the 20th century, man never traveled faster than 20 miles per hour by land or by sea. The space shuttle goes 20,000 miles per hour. You see a difference there? And so what would enable someone, the computer technology, the satellites, all the technology that we have today, we all know everybody's being monitored, right? Everybody's being cell phones, smartphones, right? Tablets, iPads, computers. There is no more privacy. There are no more secrets. They know everything about everybody right? It's just a fact. That's never existed before. Even 50 years ago, that wasn't the case, but now it is. And now we have drones. They can wage warfare from a, from a room thousands of miles away from where it's actually taking place. They can send in drones. They can bomb facilities, bomb people with no soldiers anywhere near. First time, and see, for those who argue that, uh, no, nah, we're not in the last days, we're not in the end times, you know, things are just like they've always been. No, they're not. Not at all. None of this has ever been possible before. When all these things were written in the scriptures, none of this was possible. And yet these men, Daniel, John, they saw it by divine revelation. Okay, so... This description here in 23 of this kingdom which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. In case you haven't noticed, that plan's already been implemented. This is the, the feet of iron mixed with clay from chapter 2 of Daniel, the Roman Empire. All right, verse 24, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. And so this final form of the Roman world power, if you will, is going to be a confederation of ten nations who will arise simultaneously in the tribulation days. We've talked about this. It's part of the, the globalist plan already that they've publicly stated that the world would no longer be independent sovereign nations it's too hard to control a planet like that with all these different independent sovereign nations each doing their own thing. So the plan is that the planet would be divided into ten regions. Ten horns, ten kings, ten regions. A confederation of ten regions that will arise at the time of the tribulation. So in this final section, we're going to see several things. One... The Antichrist will march to power by subduing three of the ten nations. Two, he will blaspheme God, verse 25. Three, he will try in some way to change times and laws in order to promote his anti-Christian program. As we've talked about, we've already seen that shift from B.C. and A.D. to B.C.E., before the Common Era, and A.C.E., after the Common Era, right? 
Anyway, it's no longer A.D. and B.C. They've changed that. Fourthly, he will persecute God's saints, Jew and Gentile, in verse 25 for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Okay, verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute. Now, this is another interesting and significant thing because we find that no matter where their heart really is, that these fake, phony politicians, they always talk about God. Have you noticed that? In a positive light. You know, they all claim to be Christians. You know, they all claim to worship God. Their lives speak otherwise. But they know if they don't do that, they'll lose a large part of the voting populace. Well, this guy's blatant, the Antichrist. He's not going to give any glory to God. He wants the glory for himself. He'll speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. That's the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, which doesn't exist right now, but will during the tribulation, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. As I mentioned, the second half of the tribulation, when the persecution of believers really gets hot and heavy, because that's the point during the middle where he steps into the temple in Jerusalem and proclaims himself to be God and demands to be worshipped as God. As we see in Daniel chapter 9, who knows, maybe we'll wind up going over there for a week or two. But also in Revelation 13, halfway through the tribulation, the false prophet, the Antichrist's right-hand man, the, the leader of the one world religion, coming soon to a planet near you, sets up an image of the Antichrist in the temple in Jerusalem and demands that the whole world worship him. And when the Christians and the Jews refuse, all hell will break loose and the world, the worst holocaust in human history will begin, unfortunately, sadly, that is yet to come. But there's an old saying, it's always darkest before the dawn, right? We have to look beyond the coming darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. Daniel 9.27, he... This prince to come, the Antichrist, the beast, he will confirm a covenant, an agreement, a peace treaty, if you will, with many for one seven, one seven-year period. In the middle, I'm reading from the NIV here because it's more understandable. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So this is something the Jews have not had for 2,000 years. They've had no ability to offer up their sacrifices under the Old Testament sacrificial system. So they've really not been able to properly deal with the issue of sin because for them, unlike for us, our sins are covered, washed, removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way for the Jewish believer to deal with their sin is to be able to perform animal sacrifice and they've not been able to do that for 2,000 years. But when the temple is rebuilt, and it's already ready to go, by the way, it's all there, all the pieces of the puzzle are there, they will be able to reinstitute their sacrifice and feel like they've really fully come back into their own. But he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now over Revelation 13, 11 through 15, I saw a second beast. This is the false prophet coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. 
So again, a wolf in sheep's clothing or a dragon in sheep's clothing. It spoke like a dragon, which is symbolic for Satan. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. And so that's another distinction of this coming leader, one world leader, Antichrist beast. He will apparently have a counterfeit resurrection of some kind, a fatal head wound, and it'll be healed. How that all comes about, we don't know. But we'll be able to observe from the balcony. Verse 13, And it abhorred, it performed great signs, this false prophet, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Remember, the Pharisees taunted Jesus and demanded that he perform miracles for them to confirm who he was. Now, he had been going around performing miracles, and that's the problem. Again, we talked about seeking the giver rather than the gift, but again, that will also apply to this idea of always being attracted by the miraculous. The most miraculous thing that's ever happened is Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and rising from the dead on the third day. Many believers have been deceived by bogus, phony, false miracles. God tends to do his miracles on the down low so that no human being gets the credit, you see. And so the world is going to be sucked in by these so-called miracles being performed by this false prophet. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. People are in awe of this kind of stuff, aren't they? And now we have virtual reality. We have all, you know, the video games now are so lifelike, you can't tell the difference. And the virtual reality and so forth. How this will all come about, we don't know, but we know that Satan has the ability to counterfeit the miracles of God. Remember Janus and Jambres, Pharaoh's magicians. We know that there are supernatural things going on in the world all around us. We talked about Johanna Michelson, the beautiful side of evil, and how she was involved with a psychic surgeon in Mexico. And they would do these incredible, amazingly seeming impossible surgeries and so forth. But with God's miracles, there's no downside. With the devil's miracles, there's always a downside. And so, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword. Interestingly, first it says it was a head wound, and then says a sword, so we don't... Gosh, that would be interesting if he was actually decapitated and reattached. Sounds far-fetched, but we're living in a world, folks, where nothing is far-fetched anymore. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. Gosh, it's kind of like a modern technological version of the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Got all the computers and everything, yeah. Holograms, there's so many possibilities here. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. 
Oh, by the way, speaking of the pandemic, <laughs> speaking of the vaccine, <laughs> there'll probably be some, you know, I just thought, you've heard of Maxine Waters, right? There's Maxine, that's a kind of an old school name. You don't run into too many people named Maxine anymore, right? But I bet you there's going to be people start naming their kids Vaccine. <laughs> what do you think of that? Or COVID. Get over here, COVID. And then when COVID turns 19, they'll have a special party. <laughs> COVID-19! <laughs> In Oregon, they passed a new law. I mean, they just pass laws right and left now without even really passing laws. There aren't any laws about masks. Do you know that? It's a proclamation. It's a mandate. No legislature, as far as I know, especially not here in New Mexico, our state legislature has never passed a law saying you have to wear a mask. Our governor just said so, that's all. So in Oregon, I don't know if it's a mandate or a proclamation or a law or whatever, but in Oregon now, in order to enter a business or a church and not wear a mask, you have to have proof of vaccination. Huh. Can't buy or sell without the mark. We're moving there. And we're on our way. Be skeptical at your own peril. No airplane flight without a vaccine. They've lowered the approved age now for the vaccine to age 12. It's probably just going to keep getting lower and lower. Can you imagine injecting that stuff into a newborn baby? Of course, they kill them in the womb anyway, so what's the difference, right? Okay. Verse 26 of Daniel 7. But the court shall be seated... And they shall take away his dominion, the Antichrist, to consume and destroy it forever. So the heavenly court, presided over by the Ancient of Days, God the Father, will dethrone the Antichrist and condemn him to hell. That's a good thing, right? Verse 27, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The saints of the Most High. See, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're going to graciously share their kingdom with us. Can you believe this? We don't deserve that. But God created Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth. And guess what? He's going to restore that. Shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey Him. So right now, folks, it might look like we're losing the battle, but in the end, we win. There are many reasons why it's important to study the Scriptures. One of the most important reasons is to be reminded continuously that no matter what we see around us, no matter what's going on, in the end, we win. God wins, and we win. <clears throat> Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. As we've talked about before, 
The first resurrection is not just a one-time event. It started with Jesus, who was the first fruits of all those raised from the dead. And then it continues on with the rapture of the church, the resurrection. At the end of the tribulation, the, re- the resurrection of the martyrs. So it's in multiple stages. But the first resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous of all times unto eternal life. It's that old expression, you've heard me use it before, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. In other words, if you're born again, all you will ever experience, worst case scenario, physical death, but spiritually you will live forever and you will dwell in a new glorified body. The first resurrection. The second resurrection is a whole other story. A lot of people are banking on the fact that Given, given the fact that they've chosen to reject God, to refuse God, that at least when this life is over, they will be at peace. That is not true. Everyone will exist for eternity. And I, I use a distinction there. Believers will live forever in abundant life, eternal life. Non-believers will exist forever in an eternal state of torment. It's not life but it is a conscious state of existence. So for those who think that they're going to party with their friends in hell, they they got a big surprise coming. I hate to tell them. Verse 28 of Daniel 7. Wow, that's our last verse. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. It reminded me of Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) But that's where the vision ended. That's where the interpretation from the angel ended. But Daniel says, my thoughts greatly troubled me. The way I see this is Daniel was given such a massive dose of human history going all the way through the entire end-time scenario. He was kind of on overload here. Can you imagine I mean, we get this more of a synopsis here of what he experienced. But just like John in the book of Revelation, can you imagine the impact of what they experienced, what they saw? And again, here are men living, John 2,000 years ago, Daniel even way beyond that, seeing things that are happening now in our lifetime with no contemporary perspective to base it on. Now, Daniel had some in terms of the military stuff that we read about, and the kingdoms and so forth. But John, even more so, seeing things that were so foreign to him, you can understand why they needed some angelic help with the interpretation. He says, my countenance changed. Daniel would never be the same after receiving this incredible revelation from God. He was given a glimpse of the entire history of humanity right up until the establishing of the millennial kingdom of Christ and then on into eternity. But I kept the matter in my heart. He didn't just blow it off. It reminds me of Jesus' mother and her reaction to the incredible events surrounding the birth of her son, God's son, Jesus. Luke 2.19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Folks, we too must keep these things and ponder them in our hearts. For we're closer now to the fulfillment than at any other time in human history. Romans 13, 
through 11. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love doesn't commit adultery. Agape, God's love. God's love does not murder. God's love does not steal. God's love does not bear false witness. God's love does not covet. You see how that works? It's kind of like 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And then finally, the verse I wanted to get to here, but I wanted to bring it to you in context. Verse 11, Romans 13. And do this, love one another, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, out of slumber, out of apathy, out of lethargy, out of complacency, out of just focusing on everyday life. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The words of Paul, the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, and we are that much closer than Paul was when he wrote it. Luke 21, 28, our final verse for this morning. Now when these things begin to happen, and Luke 21 is the companion chapter with Matthew 24 about the end times, the last days, the tribulation, and Jesus says when these things begin to happen, do you think they've begun? I do. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Let's stand. I'm going to ask everyone if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, please, because I want to give opportunity for people to raise their hands for prayer and lest you be embarrassed or intimidated. But uh, if you do have a prayer request this morning, please lift your hand. I'd like to pray for you or someone near and dear to you, someone that you're thinking of that's on your heart and mind this morning. Okay, Father, you see all those hands. You know what's going on with each one. Lord, there are many issues we face in this life. Sometimes they can seem devastating, overwhelming, and yet we know, Lord, that uh, with you, nothing is impossible. With you, all things are possible. And Lord, we thank you that as we pray to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you do hear those prayers. So we lift up each one now, Father. We lift those that have a health issue, a health concern, an illness, a sickness, a disease, whatever it might be, we pray for healing because you are the God who heals us. You're the great physician. So we lift up every health need, every health issue here this morning. Lord, we pray for comfort, for strength, for peace, and Lord, that... No matter the outcome, we will praise you, but we do seek your healing here this morning, Father God, that we might have the strength to continue to be a witness for you here on this planet, to, be, uh, to minister to our friends, our families, to glorify you and honor you upon the earth as one of your many worshipers. So we pray for healing. We pray also for mental and emotional issues, Lord. There's, those are things that need healing sometimes as well. Lord, anxiety Uh, stress, discouragement, depression. We ask that you would banish those from each one. Lord, who's struggling with those issues right now in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would 
Give us the victory over anxiety, stress, worry, fear, doubt. In Jesus' name, we ask that you would banish those from each one of us. Lord, for those with relationship issues, struggling, marriages, friendships, co-workers, classmates, Lord, we pray for healing for those broken relationships. We know the enemy uh, comes in to try to divide and separate us and set us at odds with one another. We ask for reconciliation, for restoration, and for healing of those relationships. Lord, for those struggling economically, Lord, this has been a difficult time over this past year and a half or so. We pray that you would provide. You promised you would provide our needs if we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that all these other things would be added to us. So we pray for provision, financial provision, for jobs where needed, uh, Lord, for uh, just the, the basic fundamentals of life, the resources we need to just carry on daily living. We ask for your provision and your blessing. And Lord, we ask for your encouragement upon each one here today as we go from this place, that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the light as you are in the light. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.